Hey Magic Lantern listeners, this is just a quick word of warning that this is distinctly a Halloween episode and we discuss a few images that might be disturbing to kids and other potentially sensitive listeners. So if that's you, you might tread carefully. You really didn't want me to come, did you? Oh, Franklin, I'm just tired. It's been a long day. Sally, did you believe all that stuff Pam was telling about Saturn and retrograde and all that? I don't know. Everything means something, I guess. You don't think that guy tried to follow us, do you? I, I mean, there's no way he could that he could follow us. He's probably afraid Kirk would kill him. Sally. What now? Nothing. Is that all right? Do you want to do it again? No, okay. I don't want to do it again. Right. You make a pretty good Franklin. <laughs> you know I can never touch you again. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, honey. Welcome to the Magic Lantern Podcast, an ongoing informal discussion of the films we love and the things we love about them. I am Erica Long. And I am Cole Rowling. Each episode of the Magic Lantern will be devoted to one film that we alternately select and we will discuss why it is significant to us. And now we have come to episode six and it is your choice. So Cole, what do you have for us? It is Coleween. It sure is. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Mm -hmm. And so to celebrate the season, we are doing the first of two Halloween-themed episodes. My selection is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974, directed by Toby Hooper, starring Marilyn Burns, Ed Neal, Jim Sidow, Terry McMinn, Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface, and Paul Partain as Franklin. Everyone's favorite. Blech. <laughs> Franklin is the worst. Did I equip myself well as Franklin in our in our opening? You did a pretty good job as Franklin. Yeah. You're way cuter than he is. Thank you. Uh, so why did you choose the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Many years ago in the dear dim past, Thanksgiving... 1984. 1984, okay. Ten years after the movie came out. Right. One of my uncles, who was the uncle who had all of the video cameras before everyone else, VCRs uh, before everyone else. Early satell- adopter. Right. Okay. Satellite dishes. Pong. He had Pong okay. before everybody else. <laughs> That's where I played Pong for the first time. Still have never played Pong, but I digress. What? Yeah. Anyway, one Thanksgiving at his house... For the after dinner entertainment. Sure. He put on this new VHS tape that he got. As you do. Of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. As you do, yeah. Which I'd been hearing about. Okay. You know. You were aware of it. You were 14 at the time, roughly. Right. Right. And so, of course, I had seen things in books and heard whispers on the wind of this. Cousins and schoolyard and who knows what else. Um, Friends. I. Cooler friends of other friends. I had cousins that were experts in cousining. (laughs) These same cousins were the first cousins that introduced me to um, Ozzy Osbourne, Mm -hmm. Black Sabbath by default, 
every cool headphone record ever made. What was second base and third base and fourth oh, yeah. base, fourth, four base, fourth base? Many an afternoon at the state fair following them around as the slightly younger cousin watching them do things that I shouldn't do. Okay. Still to this day. Okay. So it's Thanksgiving, so it's 1984. Thanksgiving, and we're gathered around the hearth to watch the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre. And my life was forever changed. Yes. And from that afternoon forward, it was a part of the fabric of my life forever. Yes. I can attest to that as the person who was also in the fabric of your life. It takes up a lot of our lives, I would say. Fair amount. Mm, I wouldn't say a lot. Uh, maybe. Okay. We'll we find out. We do live in Central Texas in and around all of the area that it was shot. We have driven past to locate the cemetery. Oh, that I've you been thought. there. You have not been there you yet. You took me. We went on a drive one night. You said, let's go drive past this place. And it was pitch black. I took my sister into the cemetery <laughs> to visit. <laughs> It's the cemetery that's in the opening sequence when they go to check and see if their grandfather's grave has been rifled because they hear about these body snatching episodes on the news, on the local news radio. And so they go to see if their ancestors' graves are undisturbed. And that cemetery is literally only about four miles from where we are sitting right now. Right. Please don't remind me. (laughs) And yeah, I took Haley there, among other friends, one evening. And scared her to death. Great. But it was it was, it was all in good fun. Uh, sure, sure. No power tools were used. Yeah, no skin masks were worn. No. And the fact that you're going to be Leatherface for Halloween this year, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't take up any time in our life. Well, you make it sound like it's. <laughs> I'm sitting around in the mask. <laughs> no, you're not. On a weekly basis. Because then I would never touch you again. Right. Okay, so that is how you found the film. Right. So do you want me to tell you how I found the film? Why don't you tell me how you found the film? I found the film through you, no thank you. (laughs) And I've now seen it three times, also no thank you. I had avoided it up until my later 30s when I finally saw it. I did not watch it on purpose. How come? And I was quite right, too, because it is utterly terrifying from start to finish. And I know what my limits are or at least I think I do most of the time and and if something seems like it's going to hit that limit of too utterly terrifying or gore or a situation that I think could possibly really happen and is probably happening next door I can't watch some of those things sometimes and so that's what I had in my mind also chainsaws in the title as is Massacre, as is Texas, where I live. And uh, it seemed like it was a little too close to home. And so I just thought, eh, can't do it. Not for me. Not for me. And you described it to me in detail before I ever got to watch it. So I was sitting with you on a couch, becoming terrified by the story that you were weaving for me of the film. And then I got to see the film and the entire time that we watched it, I was on the floor and I watched the clock on the DVD player. 
because I had looked ahead of time to see how long it was, <laughs> so I would know how much was left, how much more I had to endure. Who will survive and what will be left of them after this hour and yes. 28 minutes? They're, they're very short lives, whatever. So that's the first time I saw it. And then I saw it again with you and Haley on the big screen, which was terrifying again. And then we watched it again for the purpose of the show, still as terrifying. I think maybe more so. I think I, I find it more terrifying each time we watch it. It goes beyond your limits, I assume. It does. Since you describe it as being so it does. frightening. Yeah. How? The first five minutes of it, I'm just going to say terrifying again. I'm going to have to get my thesaurus out to come up with different adjectives. But uh, the sounds are so cringe-inducing and disorienting. And why would you go into a house where it sounds like there's a pig squealing behind the door? I think <sighs> you condense a lot of that. And that doesn't all happen in the first five minutes. It is, however, like it, you say. Moment the- to moment. From the opening credits, as soon as the flashbulb sounds start, awful. and it's exposing things that you're not sure what it is you're even looking at. You don't know. It takes a moment to adapt. It's like you're walking into a light room from a dark place or vice versa, and your eyes have to adjust, and you realize... I'm looking at teeth and bones and sculptures and dead things and bodies made into shapes. And why the fuck is that chicken in that cage? And on and on and on. It's terrifying. Yeah, all of that stuff doesn't take place in the first... The movie's only an hour and a half. There's something happening in every second. It's terrifying. Mostly screaming. Mostly screaming. At least for the last act. Screaming. You can hear the blood pounding in her ears. She's screaming so much. You can hear the sweat coming off of her. She's screaming so much. You can hear her eyes getting wider. She's screaming so much. Okay, I guess we should back up and... We should. Mention, put the the names to the they and the she's. Why she's screaming and what she's screaming about and who's making her scream. All right. It is the story of a group of young folks out for a drive in the country. After they check on whether or not their grandfather's grave has been ransacked, Mm -hmm. that go looking for the old homestead. Yes. And they encounter, they run afoul of a family for for whom every house is a slaughterhouse. My family's always been in meat. Family of Dracula's. Yeah. It's true. And as the group splits up to explore, look for the old swimming hole, see if they can get gas for the van, etc. and so on, they meet their horrible fate in the form of Leatherface for the most part, one after another after another. Yeah, and, and for the most part, but every other member of the family is disgusting and horrible and super creepy. And well, they each have their own unique murder. role they do. in the family. They do. Jim Sidow is the patriarch, obviously, runs the gas station, runs the barbecue joint, and is uh, the father and the breadwinner. Leatherface, at least when he's wearing a particular mask, Mm -hmm. is the maternal presence in the household, in addition to being the cook and butcher and main killer. Now, can I interrupt you for a second Mm -hmm. on that? So the maternal visage that he has... Is that his mother or his grandmother? 
I don't think it's either one. Okay. I think it's just another victim. Oh, oh. He has several of them. Oh, God, I didn't... Because you notice... I just felt my stomach turn over. In the section where the first two kids are walking up to the house and they look under the camouflage netting... Pam and Kirk, by the way. Right, and they see car after car after car. Yes, right, right. Implying that this has happened more than once. I think I, I guess I just took it more literally that she was one one of those that she that he was playing the role of his mother's grandmother, somebody close. No, in. I don't. I don't think that was supposed to be implied. Okay. And then you've got Ed Neal as the hitchhiker, who's basically the, the petulant brother. teenager mm-hmm. of the family. That purse that he has <laughs> around his neck. <sighs> yeah. And so they play out this dysfunctional family comedy for them it is yeah and there's some really funny parts in there that's true and horror show for everyone else Uh, who comes across their path god and the two main protagonists out of the group are brother and sister franklin in the wheelchair Mm -hmm. and sally played by marilyn burns whom we reenacted a little scene the magic lantern players at the in the opening of the show Mm -hmm. did a little scene that uh, sort of is their relationship in a nutshell. Absolutely. Franklin's a whiny jerk. Whiny, crybaby, know-it-all, oblivious to his own effect on other people. Now, when I went into this whole movie-watching experience, or in the Texas Chainsaw canon as a whole, I didn't know that Franklin was so notorious and so uh, across-the-board hated I didn't, I didn't, and I think I asked you, is for what? Is Franklin so bad? See, oh, why is he Jesus so terrible? Christ. <laughs> He's not universally reviled, I think. I think you might get that impression because I hate him so much. <laughs> didn't you sh- show me something on the internet? I mean, can't I just type oh, in you can Google, Franklin's the worst? And you then can it, go to, you can Google Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Franklin sucks. And find nine million hits. Okay. That's fairly universal to me. That's true. Okay. But I do have friends who are huge horror fans that love Franklin. Okay. Franklin apologists or just Franklin fans. Yeah. I've, I'm, I'd say the former. Okay. Okay. And I guess even from the opening scene when Franklin, they've pulled off to the side of the highway so that Franklin can go to the bathroom in his coffee can. Right. I assume immediately they're trying to generate... Some sense of sympathy for the character, but it just, it, no dice. It does not play. It does not last for more than the five seconds that he rolls down the hill, falls out of the chair, yeah. and starts to whine. <laughs> yeah, because at first, you don't know how long Franklin's been in the wheelchair right. or the circumstances of. And so I had to, when we watched it the third time, I was reminded when somebody says, oh, Franklin was never small, and Sally had to push him around in that when they were kids. And, and so after I thought five for a second, seconds, you don't care. That's true. But for a second, I did wonder: was he a vet? You know, is that why he was in the chair? But immediately, no, he's a big dumb jerk because of the time period, right. especially post Vietnam, right? But anyway, he's not, and he's a big dumb jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fifth person in the party is Sally's boyfriend, Jerry. I wrote down a cross between Disco Stew and Funky Winkerbean. I'll tell you this. With Sally, 
Jerry is punching above his weight. Uh, Marilyn Burns is hot as shit <laughs> in this movie. Pam, well, in every movie. I mean, she just was gorgeous. Right. Pam's no slouch either. Pam is beautiful. Yeah, the men are losers. Well, Kirk, not so much. Uh, he's got he's that all right. 70s John Denver chambray gonna shirt. going to get his guitar out. Yeah. And, yeah. I could I could see that, but I don't see I don't see Jerry. No, I don't see how he fits into the picture. I don't get Jerry either. Anyway, Jerry goes off after Pam and Kirk to see where they have gone because the hours have gone by, and then we're left with Sally and Franklin. Well, I don't I don't know that we should skip ahead okay. that much already because if we do, we, we are miss missing greatest... a pivotal kill. Yeah, one of the things that is so burned into my brain as far as Mine too. horror cinema I could and not, everyone's I, I would i would assume everyone that that's ever be. seen it when that beautiful shot kurt gets it first hang on let me go back to my question which is why would you go into a house <laughs> where you hear what sounds like a pig squealing from behind the door you need gas you don't go yeah. does the pig have it no you might be able to no. tell you where somebody <laughs> Pretty is smart pig? Okay. if it's a pig man especially Right. Oh, sure. Go walk right in. Anyway, so, yeah. Okay. Going back. So their streak of bad luck basically starts with picking up Ed Neal, the hitchhiker, near an abandoned slaughterhouse. Which, on paper, you would think there would be no problem with any of those circumstances. Well, yeah. It was 1974. And it was Central <sighs> Texas. They thought, eh, it's okay. There's slaughterhouses around. Yeah. And they're hitchhikers. And right. Just because this one has a super creepy birthmark and <laughs> is making weird noises and has that disgusting purse around his neck. That's fine. So he gets in the van and immediately does his whole shtick, which mm-hmm. is increasingly weird and violent. And yes. he gets fixated on Franklin's knife that Franklin's cleaning his fingernails with, responds by taking Franklin's knife, cutting his hand open, giving the knife back, and then as the horror is registering on everyone's face, taking a Polaroid of that and then trying to <laughs> sell it to them. <laughs> they don't want to buy it. He's terribly offended by that and pulls his own knife, which is a yep. straight razor, mm-hmm. which I think is ten times more menacing than any chainsaw. Anytime you see a straight razor in a film, isn't doesn't it make Close you sick? Quarters, it does creepy and it's, he cuts franklin it's with the, it. it's the scariest weapon okay to me anyway uh, yeah it's it implies a lot more menace to me than a chainsaw does anyway cuts franklin cuts they franklin. throw him out of the van after he sets a small fire he gets a lot done in the short time that he's in the van <laughs> he's a go-getter this hitchhiker and he marks that van with his bloody hand right as he's on the side of the road and, and making giving him raspberries the yeah. whole time yeah he didn't waste a lot of time yeah and then they make it to the old home place and things only go downhill from there absolutely you yeah a lot kirk and pam go to the house yeah. because they hear the generators yes assuming generators m- mean gas maybe we can get some fuel mm-hmm Kirk goes in because he knocks on the door, which opens slightly. Of course, that's an invitation. Yeah, absolutely. He goes in, and he is the first one that encounters Leatherface in the hallway with the, the hammer. red hallway with all of the animal horns and heads and right. antlers. And 
And so he, he gets one blow. God, 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 yeah. Kirk's down and gets dragged into the hallway and that, that door, door slams. The finality of that door God, it's the loudest is thing. one of the greatest sounds <laughs> in the history of cinema. That door means you are done. You're done. Pam, meanwhile, she's out on the swing. Right. She can't and hear this any of this. beautiful shot. That, that dolly's tracking. under the swing mm-hmm. and pans up to show her beautiful exposed back. And that beautiful spine that she's got offered right up. And she, looking for Kirk, wanders around the house, stumbles into the main sitting room that has the bones and the feathers and the it's chaos. And I'm and sure... you can smell it. Yeah. It's, it's death and decay and rot and it stinks and it's... You can it's sweat and murder, and Leatherface catches her, and in the iconic scene we were talking about. Before that, before that, before that, the, what still f- scares the hell out of me every time to see him pick her up, and she looks like a doll. Oh yeah, when oh, she makes it to the like front nothing. door, she it's uh, it's beautiful in the sense. Of giving you that tiny glimpse She's of hope, so close, and it's it's all daylight. It's all daylight. That's what kills me too. It's all happening during the day. She gets to the door, and he get he catches her just as she makes it to the exit, and wraps that huge arm around her midsection, and her tiny little feet just flailing helplessly, and doing nothing to him. No, not making him an impression her. at all. And so he takes her back into the house. And it cuts to the kitchen where you see that meat hook in the foreground. And you know what's coming because the seed has been planted, having seen her her back just yep. before that. Yep. And when he sits her down on it, and <laughs> she sells that hook like nobody's <laughs> business. You believe that hook is in the back. And little things help, like the droplets of sprayed blood on the wall from previous hookings, the rusty nasty tub that's beneath her feet to keep the mess Drainage. off the floor and she just hangs there and rides helplessly trying to get to it and that's who you want me to be for Halloween <laughs> you want you want a hook hanging out of my back yeah because the kids would love it they would the neighborhood would. kids would think that was a right they would so she gets to watch all of this right she gets on the to hook. watch her boyfriend's uh kirk's dismemberment with mm-hmm. the chainsaw so when we see the chainsaw really roar to life yeah that during that scene it, this was 1974 and there were not a lot of safeguards and the making of this film was a outside the normal set of rules that usually apply as far as set safety and working conditions <laughs> and that chainsaw uh Basically, Gunnar Hansen told that actor, lay very still, and he put that saw probably about three inches away from his head <gasps> oh, to do that, that and scene. It's a, it's a real blade, I mean, right? Oh, yeah. It's running. There it's... were several accidents, including one that turns out to be kind of humorous later, because you see, after about half of the film, when he's chasing victims after a certain point, Gunnar Hansen starts to make these big, wide turns... Instead running of, with the chainsaw. Right. Instead of tight turns, because the first time he tried to make a tight 90 degree turn, he slipped. The chainsaw went up in the air. Oh, Who God. knows where it was coming down? <laughs> Fortunately, not on him that time. Oh, but he learned to give it that wide oh, sort I of birth. cartoony. I'll remember that for when I'm 
running down the street with right. a chainsaw in my hand. So Jerry's next to go look for them, mm-hmm. leaving Sally and Franklin behind at the old homestead. And and a while has passed. It's pretty much dusk at this point, isn't it? Or getting close to that. It's getting closer. It's nearing twilight. It's been a couple of hours at least, probably. Yeah. Okay, so Jerry starts toward the house. He's got to see where Pam and Kirk have left their little blanket kind of there on the porch. So Mm -hmm. he knows they've come this way, clearly. Right. And uh, once again, doors doors open. Walk right in. See what's going to happen. And then he is stumbling around and he makes his discovery after he hears a pounding nearby, which is that Pam is in the freezer, kicking to try to get out. And that's when uh, Leatherface takes care of Jerry. Right. And then slams Pam back into the freezer. The, Bam! The callousness <laughs> that he hurls their bodies around yeah. with yeah. is probably also one of the scariest yeah. things. Yeah. I would assume, actually. It I, is to me. This, the strength part, it's it's clear. It's it's not a stunt person working with another stunt person. Mm-hmm. It's this guy who is clearly three times as strong as everyone else taking care of it. So at this point, Sally and Franklin are the only ones left, wondering where everyone has gone. They're still back at the old home. And it is dark. It's getting dark. And what's left to do except go find them? Well, there are two options. Franklin wants to go get help. Sally wants to go find her friends. I side with Franklin on this one. So keep that in mind. (laughs) Don't ever separate from me. Right. If not, eh. As it turns out, they can't go either way because the keys are gone. Keys are gone. So they have no choice. But for Sally to push Franklin's wheelchair through the brambles and the brush to try to go look for their friends. They don't find... Middle of the countryside, by the way. Yeah. This is Difficult terrain. Not easy. He's whining the whole goddamn time. He sure time. is. And then he hears something. He sees a light? Is that, is that a house? You see a, you see a house over there? I think so. I think. Wait, <laughs> Sally, I heard something. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all over for Franklin. <laughs> Thank to you. To the delight of everyone around the world. Uh, so why were you arguing with me on the whole universally reviled thing? I don't know. I th- okay. You're right. Because I, the only reason I argue and is that because... And the world laughed. Because I have friends <laughs> that I know enjoy Franklin. Okay. They're crazy people. <laughs> So, from this point on, it is 30 minutes of raw, jangled nerve that is nothing but her being chased and captured and tortured and escaping and being captured again. Yep. And it is visual and auditory pandemonium, basically, for 30 straight minutes. It plays on your central nervous system like a dentist drill or... The second that you said that, I can feel her screaming in my teeth. Mm -hmm. It's gut churning. She's screaming almost the entire time. As would I if I were in the situation that she finds herself. Which is, she now meets the family. Which is a complete perversion of, like we were saying earlier, standard family archetypes. Mother, father, son, Mm -hmm. family patriarchs, grandfather, grandmother. All of those things are there and represented just in the most hideous, sadistic, gleefully sadistic Mm -hmm. 
ways you can possibly imagine. And they torture us with that moment of, she got away. She jumped out of a window, runs to the gas station, gets inside, Leatherface is gone, and uh, nope, there's a sack right there in the corner, and it's going over her head, and she's got rope around her hands, and she's right back at the house, and Hitchhiker's there to say, I thought you was in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, the comedy really kicks in at this point. <laughs> sure Look does. what your brother did to the door. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty funny for something so terrifying. I think this is a great script. Oh, yeah. Terrific. Without a doubt. This is one of the few films that transcends genre, especially from that time frame. This is from an era before all of the tropes had been established and all this clever self-referential stuff was going on. And they were building the archetypes, basically, as they went. The hulking killer. Yeah. The final girl. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things were... They were pioneering these things. And there still are very few examples as powerful of those things as the ones in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Before this, so 1974, had we as Americans seen anything like this? The ugliest thing you might have seen would have been Last House on the Left. Oh, okay, okay. Just before that? What was that, 72? Mm -hmm. Okay. And prior to that, you probably had, as far as iconic American horror, Night of the Living Dead in 1968. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't come close to Oh, no. To this. In terms of just yeah. the visceral reaction that it generates. Yeah. In a cultural context, also, you were dealing with a lot of things that, like I said, it sort of transcends the genre. It has so much more going on underneath than just this sort of basic template of kids go out into the country and meet the crazy family and get killed. It comes out of the post-Watergate era, post-Vietnam, the gas Still crisis. Still in Vietnam. True. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess it's in the latter stages of Vietnam. Well, that made me think of, I'm I, I'm wondering what it was like to watch that on TV, to watch the Vietnam reports on TV every night, and people were starting to see pretty terrible things, to the extent that they could on network television mm-hmm. at the time. But Americans were were, were hearing really bad and i think it affected all the filmmakers that we just mentioned romero and craven and toby hooper and others like them tom savini Mm -hmm. you know as far as makeup and everything goes was recreating things that he saw in combat and you see that show up the cultural stuff show up in this in from the opening second those disorienting scenes in the beginning with the flash bulb and the body parts and all of that Underneath that, the bed of sound that's underneath that is news reports from the era that are just madness. They're true news stories, Mm -hmm. but you really get a sense of the tapestry of the evil that men do, Mm -hmm. man's inhumanity to man, with this nonstop commentary provided by news reports of the day that are murder and death and destruction and commonplace. They they weren't stories that were the most shocking things that were happening. These the things were happening on a daily basis. And it all comes together into anarchy, really. Just apocalyptic anarchy. Blood-drenched anarchy. At 
the family dinner table. Mm -hmm. It's also sort of representative of that sort of Americana that I'm so fond of because they address things like, if only briefly in conversation, they address things like the automation process in the slaughterhouse and how that's put humans out of work. work. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, you can almost see this family of lunatics as being the terminal point of this American Gothic strain that I'm so fond of that's rural, salt-of-the-earth people that are, you know, the dark, weird America, the far end of that spectrum, obviously. But I can see where they do fall on that spectrum of hardworking, blue-collar, pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps, don't let the government interfere in what you're doing. And if only the government had interfered. <laughs> Please, government, come in and put some electricity lines up and get some education in there. And I don't know. Ugh. Prenatal vitamins. Something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, If only the Civilian Conservation Corps had been there. If only the there. TVA had moved in there and got the rivers flowing. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> well... What we come to in this is a central belief in my life. Which is? Which is that I believe that this kind of thing, meaning kill crazy murderers, are happening everywhere at mm. any time. And any time you go down the wrong road, that's what you're going to find. And it's so going to be the terminal point. This is so frightening. Yes. Do you remember that time, maybe two years ago, we were driving from going on a hike or something, and we didn't quite know the way, and you made a remark that the street that we were on, which really wasn't a street, it was this weird neighborhood I didn't know existed, and you called it Human Lampshade (laughs) Avenue. It's what it looked like. It's what it felt like. I don't know what those people are doing in their houses. No, wait, I do know what they're doing. There are people inside freezers banging against the door, wishing that I could hear them and come get them out. And that's what's going on. This is what I believe, that it's happening all around us. I can see you feel this very strongly. Yeah. Yes. Well, you could be right. Because the point is, I guess, of all of this, that man is the monster. Absolutely. Far worse than anything that we could make up. It's already in our midst. Mm -hmm. So because of that... You find it easy to suspend your disbelief. There's no disbelief There's to no even disbelief. suspend yeah. with the whole thing. There was only one point for me in the entire thing that I had trouble suspending my disbelief. When Franklin is by himself, talking to himself, listening to everyone have a good time. In the house. In the mm-hmm. house, before all of the things start to really go. Really terrible things happen, yeah. He implies that he was invited. When he's talking to himself, he says, Come on, Franklin. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun trip. <laughs> I cannot believe, period, that one moment, I cannot believe that anyone would ask him to go anywhere. <laughs> I believe every other single thing that happens. Okay. I believe... That's the one problem. Meat hooks and chainsaws and human barbecue. Mm-hmm. The one thing they cannot make me buy, no matter how many times I see it, is that anyone asked Franklin to go on an (laughs) outing in the country to have a good time. Okay. Period. That's fair. Was it human barbecue? Oh, yeah. Don't you think so? That's what I was afraid of. (laughs) I took... Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course it it was. 
Oh, God. So, hearkening back to my the central tenant that I was espousing a moment ago, I have a hard time with that stuff thinking about the role of chance or inevitability. Mm-hmm. What that plays in your life. That that house, it's just right there. Everything is chance. It's Everything just is chaos. Right there. It may not be inevitable for everyone. It's not clearly inevitable for everyone. But they picked up the hitchhiker. They didn't get the gas when they should have. All of those things. All of those choices led them to this place. All of these terrible things that you imagine could happen, every single one of them is not probable. Every single one of them is absolutely possible. (laughs) God. Which brings me to the big question, I guess, in this. Okay. Which is, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid of being put on a hook. That's okay. In, so, in real terms, <laughs> I am afraid of being put on a hook. The reason I'm thinking about it is because we talk about how monumental a horror film this is and how it changed that landscape forever all the things that it did and does and the effect that it has on people. We also joke, though, about how much real estate it takes up in my imagination. Mm-hmm. And But it doesn't scare me. Very few things. I can't, in fact, sitting here right now trying to come up with an example, I can't think of anything that scares me. Well, I mentioned the role of fate or inevitability. And to me, it's more it falls under the inevitable, which is the house is right there. The gas station is right there. You picked up that hitchhiker who was right there. All of these things are in such proximity, you would have to fight to stay away from them. It's the gas shortage. Oh, you know, all of these things coming into to play that make it the inevitable. I that it, it, and, and that if you don't wander into his landscape, which we can definitely talk about, if you don't wander into his landscape, you're going to find another way in. That's 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 what I think. It's almost, actually, now that you say that, wandering into his landscape, there is that point that you realize two different sides of this coin. Because to the kids, it's one thing. To Leatherface, from his perspective, this is a home invasion. Because well, one after another after, who are these people that are in my house? And we talk about the use of sound. And also, during Vietnam and post-Vietnam, the, those sounds are so disorienting and all I can think is kind of that PTSD of you're under attack. Mm -hmm. You're under attack with that stuff. And all he can do is squeal and grunt and and hold his head and look around and look out the window and try to figure out, is somebody else coming? What's happening now? Right, yeah. He is is not fully developed, clearly. And so you combine that inability to process with the PTSD. It's uh, And the only way he can react is basically as an overgrown child. With a With homicidal impulses. Yeah, prenatal vitamins. As we were talking about that, I did think of one thing that scares me, now okay. that I think about it. Okay, being in a van with Franklin? No. Your protein shakes. <laughs> what you call my human ladies, skin shakes? Ladies and Old gentlemen. Lady skin shakes? My beloved wife drinks these protein shakes that the residue of which looks like she has liquefied and ingested Tasty. an old woman. It looks like... Because I don't eat meat. There are... So I've got, I've, got, I've got to get it another way. 
it looks like <laughs> these cups that are lying around are dried remnants of old lady skin. I'm not leaving cups around like it was like they're my spittoons. I'm going to clean them up. You think you do. I swear to God, I would rather know that somewhere in this house there is a human skin lampshade than come across one of your protein shaped cups. Oh, I've got good news for you. In the middle of the night. I have seen things. I've seen horrible things and distressing and frightening and potentially disturbing things. I had a friend who worked in a crematorium. Oh, God. And I would go there with her and sometimes even help her work. So I've seen freezers literally full of stacked bodies with dark patches at the elbows and heels where the blood is settling. I've seen her sit down on the floor... The way a crematorium works is to put... I'm so glad you're telling me. It's it's pretty interesting. Okay. To put you into one of the ovens, they have to get you in there with other material that can also be consumed by the fire. So they put you on these heavy-duty cardboard tubes, which allows them to roll your body into the oven. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I had not thought of that. I've seen someone sit down on the floor, a tiny woman... She's probably 110, 120 pounds. And because the person she was trying to get in the oven was so massive, maybe 350, I've seen a friend of mine sit on the floor of a crematorium, put her feet on the shoulders of a dead body, and push it into an oven. I've seen that. Yes. That is still not as disturbing as these cups (laughs) that are potentially waiting to leap out at me from anywhere in the in my house. Oh. I there is no safe place is what I'm trying don't, to say. Don't be such a pussy. <laughs> that is what scares me. Okay. Be that as it may. Yeah. In the whole oh, actually, can I, I do can mm-hmm. I say so I'll go I'll say again, if you don't wander into his landscape, you're still gonna get it because there are still other members of this family roaming around that are gonna get you somehow. This whole town knows what's going on. There's that weird guy. I don't wanna know I don't know what his deformity is at the gas station with the bucket. Where do they find these people? Where do they find these people? Anyway, I I do think it's happening in any other town. You just wander down the wrong road and it's it's gonna happen. So if you don't if you don't barge right in as an idiot and get it, you're gonna be collected somehow. So if it's so frightening, how where does this rank for you in the pantheon of great horror films? Oh, the most terrifying thing. Really? Before scarier... I saw absolutely before I saw this movie, the exorcist to me was the most terrifying thing that I had ever seen. Just pure scares. But because of the supernatural elements that you can discount in that, this is far worse. Right. This is grounded in, these are people. This is not a supernatural element causing this to happen. This is not some, you know, something with religious underpinnings, which I don't buy into. This is housebound America. (laughs) Parts that are close to us. uh, this, This makes a lot more sense to me. Exorcist is still terrifying, but... This is this is above and beyond. And I do find physical violence to be the scariest. More so than, say, the emotional violence in something like possession? Hmm, good question. I have not 
thought of that. I guess I, I'll say again, the part where Pam just gets picked up, I feel that. Mm -hmm. I feel that I'm not a large person. You could do that to me. You could pick me up and I could flail around and I wouldn't make an impact. That's really terrifying. I'm counting on every single kid that comes for Halloween (laughs) feeling the same thing. (laughs) So I guess in that instance, it's, well, this movie also has emotional violence, too. It's 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 pretty scarring. But the, the physical part really does get mm-hmm. me in this. How about for you, who is a person who doesn't, well, not as though you don't get scared, but I don't maybe have sort of luck being... I don't have same Yeah, right. I don't know. I don't, I don't react the same way, I think. Things just, I don't find them frightening. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm reacting the way that they intend people to respond to these things honestly to me they're just more fascinating mm-hmm. than they are scary can you call this to you a scary movie i can see why it scares mm-hmm. people but it doesn't scare me mm-hmm. i can't think of the last time i was scared by something i saw on screen mm-hmm. that moment in the town that dreaded sundown where... it was just a brief second that's right there was a moment when i was watching the town that dreaded sundown years and years ago where i thought maybe i should check the locks on the windows yeah specifically that scene where he's coming after Don Wells mm-hmm. at the very end. And it's just screen doors. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's all that's between you and this guy is a screen door. That may be the one time in the last 20 years that I can think of anything that made me pause for a second and think, maybe I should do... I I can ima- I see the sense in being scared by things that make sense to be scared of. Mm-hmm. If there is a rattlesnake in my car, for instance, <laughs> that's yeah. scary because I know there is the potential for pain and injury... But these abstract ideas of this horrible thing is out there somewhere waiting to get me doesn't affect me the same way. And so where does the fascination come in? I was always a weird kid. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And a weird adult. In the best Uh, possible way. All of the, uh, you know, every time we got the weekly reader order sheets for books, I was ordering books about Dracula and Uh Frankenstein. And so it's like, like I said in the old Dark House episode, it's Halloween in my heart 24 hours a day. But to, you did you set out to find something to be scared by? I try to. Okay. And it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm, it may be that at this point I'm so desensitized by things. The bar has been raised and raised and raised so many times. You go through this and you get to something like Martyrs, for yeah. instance, or Inside. I've seen things that look real. I will. I do want to clarify, though, when we say dis- desensitized in your specific case, we're not talking about where you then look at things in a flippant manner. Oh, no. Or as it's if, not like... Yeah. No. And I'm saying this. I want to be clear because the flip side of that is I'm just so world weary and over it and I'm as smarmy. No, and it's not. It's neither I that. I titter at heroin overdoses. No. Right. It's, it's neither that, that nor am I a juggalo. That thinks no anything like oh this thing is super, this murder is super cool yeah no, no it's no. nothing like that no 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 sorry I want I, no. I wanted to jump in <laughs> I appreciate you clarifying <laughs> that no to me it's I appreciate the fact that the entire range of human experience mm-hmm. and emotion and possibility one as one extreme dark and disturbing part of that spectrum is allowed to be portrayed in these things. Mm-hmm. Because that will likely never cross my path in real life. 
So the same way I would be interested in science fiction or fantasy or the same way I would look at Spirited Away, for instance. I will never encounter that world in my real or waking life, but I really appreciate the opportunity to explore it Mm -hmm. for this two hours because it's part of the entire tapestry. Horror, though, does take up a lot of space for me. This collection that we're sitting in the middle of is probably 30 to 40 percent that, Uh if I had to guess. Thousands of titles. Well, and you posed the question to me a moment ago about what was more terrifying, something with the emotional violence like possession or the physical violence. So I'm going to throw that question back to you, but I'm going to, I think maybe the word grueling is more appropriate. What do you consider to be the more grueling, the emotional violence or the physical violence? Probably the emotional Mm -hmm. violence. It may also be... I will say after seeing that movie, I felt like my head was going to explode. Mm -hmm. It was, my brain was just throbbing. It's probably also something as simple as a product of my size and my general confidence. I don't think the average person can hurt me Mm-hmm. very easily. Mm-hmm. And so the disparity between my size and yours, for instance, I could see why I'm not often faced, I guess I should say, with someone ratio wise that is yeah. so much bigger than me than I am than you. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't encounter a potential threat like that very much. So it doesn't occur to mm-hmm. me to be afraid of it very often. Well, now that we're talking about it, I realized, you know, I, I was stalked when I was much younger mm-hmm. and there was that possibility well, it wasn't a possibility it happened that there was this person and I could walk right outside my door and he would be there. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Yeah. It could I be can, really scary. I can see there's for every good reason. It's, yeah. it's very frightening. Yeah. So all of these things make sense to be afraid of. It's terrifying to watch. But for me, like I said, it's fascinating and to a degree, even fun to watch. It is. And I said before, the script is great. Mm -hmm. It's really well written. And when I watched it this most recent time, I was struck by how well directed and shot it is, which I think I was I was not paying attention to the first time I saw it. (laughs) This third time, there are really interesting shots in it and the camera moves so well. There's nothing boring or static or or even low budget low budget or expected and the way that third act is edited Mm -hmm. it's beautifully shot the whole way through and then when you get to the point where she's in their hands and it is cut after cut after cut of the screaming and the passing out and the bloodshot eyes and the hands tied with dirty rope and rags and how all of that stuff is cut together is fantastic and, like you say, completely terrifying. And sort of bookends with that opening credit sequence where the sound design is so interesting and weird and over the top and immediately you're put off balance by everything you see and hear. That happens from the first second and only becomes more and more intense. And so much of that is technical achievement in addition to great performances the production and the set design is oh man yeah top notch Mm -hmm. everyone involved did a wonderful job and i really want people to see that when they watch it for the first time or again really notice those things because they stand out Mm -hmm. so those are the things you want people to notice what is it that you 
want them to take away from it? Why would you, I assume you would, you would recommend that people see it. Absolutely. So what is it? I never want to watch it again. And I know that I will, (laughs) but I absolutely want people to watch this. This is not a run of the mill, cheap, crappy slasher. So then I'm judging from that. I assume you fall in the anti camp when it comes to this whole, these movies have a detrimental effect and generate violence and are responsible for spawning other actual real killers. No, because I probably have said too many times at this point in too great detail that I believe these things are already happening and have already happened. No, this is simply a representation of what has occurred for eons. It was inspired by real life rather than inspiring. Yeah. With yeah. the Ed Gein case, very loosely based, we should mm-hmm. say, on that Ed Gein case. But what would Ed Gein have been prompted by in the theater? Or someone like Peter Curtin, the vampire of Dusseldorf yeah. in 1929. No. He was killing people because of something he saw in Bulldog Drummond. Sophocles? I don't... Uh, yeah, well, I was it's thinking, crazy. I was thinking cinematically. <laughs> He read that crazy play and inspired him to pick up a knife. No, that's I, I I'm not uh, in the camp of of that sort of a thing. What is inside you is inside you. Well, speaking of Ed Gein, that brings me to my recommendation. I'm all ears for this episode. I'm and all spine. My recommendation is Deranged, oh. also from 1974. Okay, the other movie about Ed Gein from the same year. Oh. Directed by Alan Ormsby and Jeff Gillen, with effects by Tom Savini. Oh, so you know it's going to be great. And a lead performance by Roberts Blossom, who horror genre people probably know as the old man who sells the kid Christine. Okay. With the the world's nastiest back brace. Oh, gosh. On. He plays Ed Gein, or... Ezra in this, it's okay. mildly fictionalized, ah. but it hews a lot more closely to Ed Gein's actual story. And it's not the greatest thing ever made, but as long as it's the season and we're talking about <laughs> Ed Gein-inspired stories, that would be the thing that I recommend people see. There's a great... I say great. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a deranged scene in there's Deranged. There's a really when... great brain and eyeball <laughs> scooping scene. Sure. That was cut out of all of the versions previous to this year, but just this year, Kino did a re-release of the DVD back in July of this year with that scene put back in that had to be cut initially to pass the ratings board. Thanks, Obama. Thanks, Tom Savini, in this case. (laughs) So what about you? What do you have? My recommendation is in honor of Marilyn Burns. Okay. Okay. And it is 1976's TV movie Helter Skelter, oh. which I was obsessed with as a kid. Uh, Me too. I I read that book about nine times when I, I was eight years old. My first job was in a <laughs> library, and uh, we had the paperback rack, mm-hmm. and I would just go to it anytime I had a second to flip through it. I watched it. TBS had that whole period where they showed it a lot, and mm-hmm. I watched it a number of times. And also wonderfully directed and extremely interesting and very well acted, I think. So, 
Helter Skelter from 1976. I can see Ed Neal's hitchhiker character fitting right in right into the at ranch. Spawn Ranch. Between he and Charlie, flower power is good and dead. Way more terrifying things happen in real life than they do in books. And not to laugh because it was a horrific, horrific, horrific event. More than just the Tate LaBianca murders, too. It was a much, much larger thing. But the film, or the TV movie, mm. is wonderful. I highly recommend it. Okay, well, there are two really good Halloween season recommendations to tide you over until the next episode, where you'll get a couple more. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us via email at magiclanternpodcast at gmail.com. You can always go to the website, magiclanternpodcast.com, to get supplementary material to these episodes in our show notes. You can find us on Twitter, at lantern underscore cast. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Just search for Magic Lantern. We're easy to find. If you could... We would certainly appreciate it. It's really, really helpful if you are listening to us through one of those services. Please just take a couple seconds and leave us at least a star rating, if not write an actual review. When you leave more of those star ratings, it bumps us up higher in the rotation and makes us more visible so that other people could possibly accidentally come across us. So every little bit of that helps. Anytime you can leave us a review or a rating, we certainly appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the Magic Lantern Podcast.